0: and welcome to it welcome to inside the yard Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold and we have a lot to get into on today's program coming up we're going to talk to Orioles pitching coach Doug Brocale. And after that, for our insider segment, Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown, we'll get to know Kevin a little bit. And then something that's really cool uh, that happened last night at Kevin Yards for our national anthem, we'll talk about that a little later in the program. But, Jeff, first, a comment just on the up-and-down play uh, from the Orioles over the last uh, several weeks, the, the inconsistency of it all.
1: Well, I don't think there's really one thing you can put your finger on that is due to the streakiness. I think in the last series against the Blue Jays, it came down to a lot of little mistakes. There were base running mistakes. There were some maybe at-bats that weren't quite as good as you were seeing in some of the previous series. So it was just, I think, a, a, a bunch of different things that you can kind of relate to it and, and things that you just have to clean up. The Orioles have shown that they can come back in games where they're down, including against scion caliber pitchers like Max Scherzer. But now they've got to figure out a way to finish those types of games off. And I think if they can get one of those comeback wins under their belt where they're down by four runs or more, then they start to learn that this is how you do it, we can do it, and then hopefully it yields to results. But at the same time, you want to make sure you're playing in front a little bit more often and you're not making some of the simple mistakes that you don't expect to to see at the major league level.
0: Yeah, I think that's all very fair. So much to get into right now. With Orioles pitching coach Doug Brocale, he's been around, he knows the game, really respected in the game, and obviously we've seen a pretty big jump from a lot of those arms that are back this year, including guys like Tanner Scott. So let's get into it. Doug Brocale, Orioles pitching coach right now on Inside the Yard. Well, a very special guest right now on Inside the Yard. He is the Orioles pitching coach for his second season. Doug Brocale is with us. Doug, how are you?
2: I'm well. Thank you for asking.
0: Well, Doug. Uh, Need to get on the road. Yeah. Uh, well, Doug, uh, <laughs> tell me about just the how you see this pitching staff as far as year-over-year year improvement, because it's pretty noticeable in almost every meaningful uh, number you can throw out.
2: Yeah. Um, I think for me, guys are ready to step up and, and find out who they are. You know, I I think last year, so many guys come to a new team you had you had dfas that that joined a team lay they're already um in their minds going oh my god you know i I can't pitch for this team but this team picked me up and and are they going to stick with me or they you know just talking to the guys last year and and the worry of well if i do bad am i going to be sent out am i going to you know be on the caravan and go up and down and up and down and up and down. And I think the guys are, are finally realizing that, hey, if I throw strikes and I pound the zone, good things can happen. And they've done that, and they've done a good job of it. Doug,
1: in terms of how this year has been different, just based on all the rules and regulations and some of the different intricacies of, of doing baseball in, in 2020, how has that affected the way that you've been able to, to work with your pitchers?
2: You know, it, it, it's weird. A little less hands-on. Um, we still do meetings um, from six and eight feet away. Um, we do a lot of a lot of talking outside on the mound where the work should be done, which is okay, but not a lot of video along with it. And and I, I'm kind of good with it because you know, guys go in, they look at video, they get paralyzed by the analysis of it oh, I'm doing this wrong, I'm doing that wrong. Get outside, let's go through the movements so that you can understand where your arm is, where your body is, where the mistakes being made. And it's funny, when you do that and you do that on a regular basis, you learn that most of your problems happen near or at your first move. And guys are just just paying attention, they're rolling. You know, our guys are talking pitching. Our guys are talking baseball and that's something that didn't happen that much last year. I see these guys because, because they are quarantined and because they have to do zooms, you know, guys will, guys will come and say, Hey, I got on with, with, you know, another bullpen member and we looked at my stuff. What do you think about this? Well, let's take a look at it. And I think, I think guys are starting to trust themselves and trust their abilities because that's about all you have to go on. We, you know, we can't go in the video room this year. Um, Now we can pull up video on zoom and we can do it from afar, but I think guys are really starting to figure
0: out who they are, what they are and, and what they're, and what they're good at. Doug, let's talk about Tanner Scott, who's obviously just been dominant. We've all been tantalized by the pure ability over, over the years, but this is a guy who just in 2016 and 17 in the minor leagues was averaging about a walk per inning. And, and we've seen it in flashes in the big leagues, but for him, what's been the biggest difference? And then, yeah, I don't know about you, but to me, he's almost getting more confident and more dominant by the outing right now.
2: Tanner's just, I think he's not worrying about, oh my God, I walk a guy in here and I walk a guy there. And sometimes I fall behind. count. He has been going out dominating you know he the funny thing about the walks is there's been three 3-0 counts that he's had where he's come back and got punch outs and that's just trusting in your ability and not worrying and and you know what the thing is is if you walk a guy get it out of your head move on to the next guy and I think so many times last year the walk followed by the walk led up to more walks led up to the inability to trust you trust his stuff and you know if you sit down and talk to Tanner right now he's kind of he's kind of on a goofy high about man this is fun you know he's just he's having fun in that clubhouse he's having fun out on the field um I I think having Holmesy here with us is a really really good thing um this guy very confident you know, boosts these guys beyond all belief. And he he just makes them work down there when they're getting ready. And I think that he's built a trust with those guys that have been really, really good. Doug, in terms of Cole Sulcer, this year
1: he's serving as the team's closer, was somebody that was with the Rays, designated for assignment, comes and joins you guys, gets put into, into the closer role. And a, a lot of people probably initially when the season started were like, who, who, who is Cole Sulcer? but he's become a, a key part of your bullpen. How have you seen him develop and grow since he made the opening day roster?
2: Oh, outstanding. You know, this is a kid that, like you said, was with Tampa. So he, he understands the analytics. He understands what he's really good at. And he, he sticks to a plan. You know, <laughs> when we sit in that office on a nightly basis right before the game and we decide – Okay, you know it's it's not so much roles, it's it's matchup. We're really matching guys up extremely well this year. Now, Sols has a reverse split. You know he's he's notably better on versus lefties than he is righties, and that gives us an extra out per se. So, you know when we get done at the end of the day. For, for my confidence, knowing that this guy's going to go out and slam the door shut, I say, hey, Souls can face one through nine. Uh, Michael, two through four, um, four through six, four through eight, and then we just go down the line. And I think that's kind of how Solz has done it. You know, this guy, this guy knows exactly what he's good at. He pitches well above the zone and he pitches well below the zone. And when you can pitch up in the zone and down in the zone, that's when the up in the zone becomes extremely important. For years, everybody's like, oh, let's take this guy. Let's get him pounding in the top of the zone. That's good. But it's not as good as if you can go down and up. And he does that extremely well. His his split is an attack pitch. He's not afraid to throw any of his pitches in any count in any situation. And, you know, that's that's the thing about this bullpen this year is is seeing these kids grow and and knowing that they believe in themselves it's it's incredible.
0: Doug, I know it's been a really rough go for for John Means. Uh, take a, out the stopping, starting, and, and personally what he's had to deal with. Uh, pure stuff wise right now, and also you know what we saw from him last year. Wh- where do you see? a potential finish line for someone like John means who, who seemed to just come into his own perhaps a little later than, and then the prospects, everyone always hypes up. But, uh, where do you see the potential for someone like John?
2: Well, John's a commodity, you know, he's, he's, he's hopefully a mainstay. This is, this is a guy that grew so much last year and, and pitched probably better as a starter than any of our other starters. Um, and that's why he got the, you know would have had the opening day nod but i i don't see this as a setback for john you know it's been a tragic misfortune with his father um him coming down with the 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 bicep ache and us you know the thing thing there is john probably would have said you know what i'll pitch through it but that's the beauty of having skip myself home and the trainers on board were like listen is an important dude he's a guy let's not rush this john just needs to get into a rhythm you know we see that the velo has has kicked up we see that the breaking balls are better sharper um different we kind of made a little bit of a change there to to allow him to hold his line the other day in his in his work but uh you know this is going to be a dude, and for me, John John's a mainstay here. Now, you know I can't answer those questions from upstairs, but I I think everybody agree that you know with the misfortune that he's had this year, it's we're just gonna we're gonna go slow and we're gonna build him into it and we're gonna get him in a rhythm and and once you get there, he's gonna be fine.
1: Sticking with starting pitching. How do you keep Alex Cobb continuing to do uh, what he has done at the start of this year? Because it's it's been pretty encouraging to watch him go deeper into games when when that's been a, a point of emphasis for for your starters right
2: now. Yes, big point of emphasis. You know the, that's the thing is I don't want to I don't want to sit there and, and kill the pen, but uh, you know Alex has been really good. I, I think coming off the injury last year and and doing the buildup that he had this spring. And then, you know, the 2.0 happened and everybody's wondering, okay, where are we gonna be? Is everybody gonna be okay? Are we gonna have to ease into this? And we kind of had to ease into him. And, uh, you know, he was he was only scheduled for three or four his first outing. He's really stepped up. You know, his, his work has been phenomenal. Alex is one of those guys that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a different delivery. It has to feel really good to him. Um, yesterday's pen was repeated extremely well, and you know this, this guy, this guy can do some incredible things with the baseball that split. His curveball that he's starting to use more and more, and two team is just filthy at times. So, you know, we just got to hope that that the innings continue. I think the, the guys have built up some. Pitch counts now into the seventies and eighties that are gonna allow us to get to hundred um, like I said you know we're eight i think we're about eight and one on the road and four what are we twelve and 12, 4 and eleven at home I think that uh we'll finish up this this home stand win a few games hopefully uh go day by day and not look look ahead but um get on that road and win some more games and come home and start putting it together at home because at home is is where we struggle I, you know as a pitching coach and and us sitting down and talking pitching we see the oh no i'm down 2-1 i better be careful here to you know i, I don't want to go 3-1 and i i don't want to give a bomb you see that in your pitchers, and we've got to get that out of our heads we've got to go on the attack just like we do on the road and and not worry about you know the short porches and how the ball flies here and and if we can get that out of our head, I think that we 're going to win more games at home.
0: Last one from me, Doug. Uh, this is more of a broad question you know we 've seen the maturation of so many young pitchers and and obviously more are coming over uh, this year, perhaps next year, some names that a lot of the fans and, and listeners know. But when you look at someone like Tanner and what he's been able to do, and there were some ugly big league outings, everyone knows, and that kind of comes with the territory. And you look at someone like a Cody Carroll, who has that you know, high potential, that great fastball, looks the part. What's the fine line between development, knowing they need the experience, but also not going out there and, and, and really struggling? And, and for you and for Brandon and the front office, how do, you, how do you kind of put all that together when you're trying to get someone over the hump?
2: You know, this is a tough year. We're going to have to see kids that might not be fully ready to come to the big leagues, come up here and pitch and, and be counted on. And you hope that it doesn't go the, the opposite way. You hope that guys come up and they get their taste and and they realize that, hey, my stuff's good enough to pitch here. The The part that you don't want is – Hey, let's just bring him up to bring him up, and he comes up and he has major struggle, and then it gets in his head, and it's it's one of those years. This is a weird year, you know. It's a shortened season. Um, if we can climb back into this thing. We're going to need help. You might see some some kids that wouldn't have made it this year pitch in the big leagues this year, and 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 be productive. We'll we'll be needing that production out of out of them, you know. We, we have a slew of of good young arms down there. You know, we we get the reports every day. Um, Chris has run back and forth from up here to down there, keeping us informed. We get to see the video because we have a link down there that allows us to see the video. These guys throwing their their simulated games. You know, you you just got to be careful how if if a guy's struggling down there you really don't want to bring him up here but if he's pitching well down there maybe it's time that that we we give him a look see up here and and you know it, it's nice that we have elevated numbers you know we're going to get down to 26 here shortly which I think is coming but uh some of these guys you know when you have when you have less innings being pitched out of the, out of the rotation nowadays, because the third time through the lineup and the way that the stats have shown that that uh, guys get hurt in the third time go through, you know third third round of the of the lineup, we're gonna maybe see guys that we wouldn't have seen. So we we just gotta hope that, that the kids are ready. I know they're putting in the work. They've got great instruction down there. Kenny and Rams are down there working their rear ends off on a daily basis. And and when time comes, we see what we have.
0: Doug Brokale, Orioles pitching coach. We really appreciate it. Uh, Best of luck this weekend. Time now for our insider segment. And joining us is Orioles broadcaster as the call this weekend on Masson alongside Ben McDonald. Kevin Brown is with us. KB, how are you? I'm good. Who's the insider? And <laughs> <a good> <laughs> we're waiting. It's not me, right? <laughs> no, we're waiting for we're waiting for uh, for Ben McDonald to call.
3: Okay, good. Well, let's <laughs> wait. Um, I got time.
0: Uh, KB, let's start uh, with just your assessment of of this team so far, and, and you know, we're we're uh, dropping this on a Friday morning. So right now, right around 500. Uh, tell me w- what your thoughts are.
3: I have loved watching them play. I, that's my first thought. I just really enjoyed this team so far. They, they were a, a, enjoyable at, at times last year, and it was a good clubhouse, and I, I think that's hard to maintain when you go 54 and 108, but it was a good clubhouse and a good bunch of guys, but you know, more often than not, you had home runs allowed and bullpen meltdowns and a pretty inconsistent offense. But this is a fun team. Um, Alberto's fun to watch. Santander is a joy to watch. Rio Ruiz and his early power surge and his crazy mullet have been fun to watch. Um, These bullpen arms between Tanner Scott and Cole Sulcer and Miguel Castro and Michael Gibbons, there have been a lot of best-case scenarios on this team right now. That's the way I've sort of thought about it. You know, best-case scenario for Tanner Scott is he can actually command the ball Um, We know he's going to have the good stuff. Can he actually command the ball and and get big outs consistently? That would be the best-case scenario. We're at it. Best-case scenario for Cole Sulser. I think we've probably surpassed what we thought would be the best-case scenario at the start of the year, because I don't think his best-case scenario coming into the year was reliable major league closer. Best-case scenario for Anthony Santander, he walks a little bit more, he hits with more power. He is probably surpassing that. So I just like the – I I, I like the upper echelon you know, at which a lot of these individual guys are playing. I mean, who knows what the future holds? And I know people like to talk about, well, are they going to make the playoffs? Are they going to make the expanded field? What are the playoff odds? Like, that's all well and good, and it'll be fun. It'll be fun if they're in the race. But the fact that we're even talking about this is wonderful. And just to hear now the day-to-day improvement of some of these players, it, it has been a thrill for me to watch.
1: KB, in terms of the streakiness that we're seeing out of the Orioles where you play a great series two times ago and now you come in and you play the Blue Jays and you you drop a couple games to them and you lose four in a row after you would won six in a row. Um, And and we've kind of seen this back and forth all year long. Uh, Is there anything that you can point to that might be the reason for it? Do you have any theories?
3: Ooh, theories. Um... You know, one thing that sticks out to me is the aggressive nature of this team offensively. It is not a team that is going to walk much. Chance Cisco is an exception to that. Anthony Santander has walked more of late. But it is pretty much, by and large, an aggressive offensive team. Lots of swings. Alberto certainly fits that bill. Iglesias fits that bill. You know, Renato Nunez, his walk rate was up earlier, but he's been a little more swing-happy now. Austin Hayes, I know, is an Angelist, but is a fairly swing-happy player. And I think it's an offense that will put a lot of balls in play and will not strike out much. They've had some games they've lost by a lot recently where they've only struck out a couple of times. So in that sense, you just sort of give yourself over to a degree to the Babbitt monster, batting average and balls in play. Sometimes you're going to hit some balls hard that are going to go right to gloves. Sometimes you're going to hit some balls weakly that will make their way through. And I think this team is so uh, aggressive. They are just going to be liable to games where within seven pitches they have three runners on base and they've blitzkrieged a pitcher. And then there will be other innings where within seven pitches they're out of an inning. Um, I think the pitching staff is still a little inconsistent, and, and that can lead to streaks. We mentioned the bullpen arms. They've mostly been good. The starting rotation has been up and down. Uh, Tommy Malone has had some terrific starts and some not so terrific starts. Wade LeBlanc started the season really well. Last couple of times out has not pitched well. And I think if you look at LeBlanc and Malone and their career histories, oh, these are two guys that, that do that. Um, if their changeup is on, you can tell in the first inning, this is going to be a good game. If it's not, you can tell they might not make it through 4 full. So it, it's not a consistent starting rotation at the moment, and it's an offense that, to me, is, is you know hit and miss in, in terms of putting pressure on teams and putting sustained pressure on because of their approach. So I think that's going to lead to some, some hot weeks, and it's going to lead to a couple more stretches like we're seeing now.
0: Kevin, let's get to the important stuff. <clears throat> Who is Kevin Brown?
3: Well, on November 22nd, 1989, uh, a child was born unto this world, the product of, of Doris Noble and Kenneth. How far back do we want to go here? I'm sorry. What's our time? Uh, I mean,
0: I- you know, give us the full story. <laughs> there are a lot of people who are tuning in this weekend saying, that's an interesting voice. Uh, who is this guy? Yeah, that's true.
3: It, it, it might be an interesting voice. I, I have to say, you know, everyone on, on the Orioles' TV side has, has a pretty distinct Voice and, uh, you know, Scott, we've got the Baltimore accent. Ben's, we know Ben McDonald is from Cajun country. I mean, Thorny's got, you know, still some, some traces of that New England accent. I've kind of lost my accent, um, which is a good thing for everyone because I'm from Long Island, and, and when I say I'm from Long Island, I, I mean, I used to say I'm from Long Island, you know, and I'd, I'd go to, uh, to Mario's Bakery, not Mario's, and I'd tell you about the state of Alaska not Alaska. I mean, it was a truly heinous accent. So uh, I, I went to Syracuse like basically every other you know, young white male play-by-play broadcaster of the game <laughs> besides you two.
0: And um,
3: <laughs> lost the accent, had it pretty much beaten out of me. And uh, I started working in, in local TV and in minor league baseball there. I worked seven years AAA baseball with the Syracuse then Chiefs. They're now the Syracuse Mets. Did some fill-in work for the Nationals in 2017, for the Blue Jays in 2018. And I I just, um, you know, I I wanted to do this from a pretty young age. I remember being eight or nine years old. My dad was a local basketball coach. He was the coach of my PAL basketball team, the local police athletic league. And there was a a weekend where he had to coach the All-Star game. I was not in the All-Star game because I, to that point, uh, had scored a combined zero points in my basketball career. (laughs) My first points wouldn't come till the season after that. When I took about a 32-foot shot in the middle of the second quarter just for fun and made it. Wow. Uh, An auspicious (laughs) debut, to be certain. But he was coaching the game, and I was just sitting on the stage. I just had to go and watch the game. And for reasons still unclear, I just started narrating the game to myself which probably drove the parents on the stage absolutely crazy. But I remember this, you know, very nice uh, young couple, a man and a woman sitting next to me. I'm sure their son was playing in the game. And at the end of the game, they said, hey, good job, Marv. You know, which probably was was more facetious than I realized at the time. Probably they were driving home and going, that kid (laughs) is a pain. And I don't know what we could say on this podcast, but – it's PG-13. I just from that point on, okay, from that point on, I just – I kind of got the bug. And I, I I just fell in love with the the idea of being at a game and, and having the chance to tell the stories at that game. And, um, you know, here we are 22 or so years later, and yeah, there are days – we probably all have days where I think, you know, could I do something else? Should I have gone on this career path, this and that? Ultimately, I show up at the ballpark and I say, I'm actually getting to do what I love. And that's a genuine thrill. And I, I don't take that for granted because I know a lot of people have, have trouble finding the thing they love, the thing they're passionate about. Uh, uh, yeah, that's I agree. Sure. I, I agree, Brett's dog. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's a podcast first. We've been doing this for about five months.
3: Either he really hates my voice, or, or he or she, or, or is also passionate about the thing that, that he or she does, which I guess is sleeping a lot, <laughs> licking a lot, eating treats. I think Amazon uh, I just, just arrived. Right, right. I I just can't believe I get to, to do the things I do, and I try to imbue the broadcasts with a sense of of joy and fun and entertainment. Um, I and I hope people pick up on that. On the TV side, I, I, Ben and I, I hope we'll be able to to teach people about the game, specifically Ben, who has such a wealth of knowledge, and to to inform and to educate. But but I hope people have as as much fun as we're having. I I really do because to me this is just a genuine thrill. I mean, even to get to talk about what I do in a situation like this, even even this is is fun to me, and I I don't take for granted that people actually wanting to know you know and and to some degree what I'm about or or what I like because really like who is Kevin Brown is is not a question that most people should care about but the fact that anybody cares at all is uh it's pretty humbling
1: maybe last one for me um what makes baseball so fun to broadcast for you I mean what what do you enjoy the the most about it and, and what makes it different from doing football or basketball which you also do for
3: ESPN yeah it's a good question. I've, I've done those three, and, and I've done hockey and soccer and wrestling and field hockey and probably some other sports that I'm forgetting now, lacrosse. Um, there's a poetry to baseball that doesn't exist in anything else. It's the pace. It's the rhythm. It's the ballpark itself. Um, it's the sounds. I know those sounds are different this year. The same thing with the, the smells and the sights, but there is something poetic about baseball. I, I love the the speed and the intensity and the energy of a basketball game. And, and I love the, the, you know, the varying speeds within a football game. And I love how a, a crew is able to come together and, and put together a football broadcast. I think those are just different levels and uh, different degrees of, of a challenge, but it, it's, it's like, it's almost pure Americana to me. I, I find the game to be romantic. I, I, I'm just kind of that way. I, I'm a sucker for field of dreams and, and for Kevin Costner's speech in Bull Durham and for Roy Hobbs hitting the light tower. And I just find a a romanticism within baseball. Maybe it's not always the same. I I understand that to some people that romanticism has changed over the years because of steroids and because of labor disputes and TV blackouts and other various factors. But there is nothing to me in sports that compares to a well-pitched, well-fielded, tight baseball game a 3-2 game in the eighth inning with a couple of runners on that is is sporting mana from heaven for me and um the the rise and fall of the game of the fans uh, the pitcher versus the batter yeah there, there's nothing quite like the the one versus one aspect of this in sports I get that you know there are one-on-one sports there's tennis there's boxing and all that but it's the game within the game. It's it's the disparate nature of every pitch. Um, it's the fact that we still have things that happen that people have literally never seen happen before. We're in two thousand twenty. There have been millions of baseball games throughout the years, and still, you know, statistical oddities happen. Balls are hit to parts of fields that people have never seen hit before. There, there is still something romantic and mystical about this game. You know, it's the different ballparks. It's the different larger-than-life figures. It's the spin on a curveball. It's the launch angle on a home run. It all, it all melts together, and maybe there's something intangible and alchemic about it, but it's, um, it's just it's, – it's, it, to me, it's poetry, and, and, it, and it provides us as, as storytellers and as game callers and as journalists – the chance to be a different kind of poetic. I I like to think that if, you know, Walt Whitman or or Robert Frost or Emily Dickinson were, were alive today, they would still say there is something naturally beautiful and, and, you know, and, and and poetic about baseball. I can't speak for them because they're not alive and I don't know them, but I'd like to think they would.
0: I like to think that too. Kevin Brown, a poet in his own way. And, uh, very nicely said we appreciate so much kb for your first insider segment and uh we got to know kevin brown a little more that's the important thing we got to know kevin brown a little more yeah um we
3: we can i mean next time we can get into like oasis and the beatles and my and my obsession obsessive love of uh of of random rock and roll music but I think we're probably out of time for that. People don't need to hear me go through track by track everything on Casey Musgrave's Golden Hour. Now I don't expect, <laughs> <laughs> but if you ever want it, I'm free.
0: <laughs> Casey Musgraves. <laughs> that's Kevin Brown. Uh, catch him this weekend on Masson uh, with Ben McDonald calling uh, the Orioles and Red Sox on Masson. KB, thank you. Thanks, guys. Great stuff with Doug Brocale and Kevin Brown and uh, Kevin uh, doing TV with Big Ben McDonald through the weekend. And and Jeff, though, uh, last night, last night, this has got to be an Orioles first. When one of the (laughs) club broadcasters also sings our national anthem, our Star Spangled Banner written right here in Baltimore. And and Jeff, I must say, we, we always hear this, versatility plays in our business, but I'm not sure if we can find someone more versatile than you right now.
1: I think you're more versatile than me, if I'm being honest. I don't honest. know, you're no. singing the anthem. <laughs> no, is, is
0: Nicole going to ask you to roll the tarp tomorrow, too? I mean, that, that means you can do everything.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I, don't, I don't think I could probably fit in on Nicole's tarp, but I think she's got a lot of people that are, that are a lot better than me. I did it in the minors and wasn't probably great at it. But, no, it, it was something when I was a kid, I was a singer, and I had a good voice, and so I did a lot of choirs and things like that. My mom put me into voice lessons when I was a kid, and I was just pretty good at it, and so – When I was in the minor leagues, a lot of times I was the backup national anthem singer. So if maybe a group forgot that it was their day, if maybe it was a younger kid that would do it and they got a little bit of stage fright beforehand, or maybe if something just comes up and we don't have a singer for whatever reason, I would often be the person that would go in and and sing the anthem. And they would always ask, like, do you want to do a sound check? I'm like, no, let's just do this one time and be done with it because it's a really hard song to sing. It's a great song, but it's a hard song to sing. So uh, they they reached out, the Orioles did, and asked if I would tape it. So when we had the series against the Phillies off the monitors, I think it was the second day, and uh, they said, "Hey, can you come by and tape an anthem?" So I went out to Legends Park, did it there, and it was a lot of fun. It was great to work with uh, with Emma and Red and crew, and we we had some fun. And uh, hopefully, I didn't break anybody's eardrums while I was uh, doing the anthem last night.
0: Well, awesome job, and uh, it's really cool. And uh, hopefully, save some pipes left for the game broadcast. But that's just awesome. <laughs> That that you could do that. And uh, how many times did you in the minor leagues you, you filled in and did that? Probably six, seven, something like that. It was usually once, twice, sometimes even three times a year. Well, that's pretty awesome. Uh, Jeff Arnold, the man of many skills and talents. Uh, congratulations on that, Jeff. And hopefully next year you get to do it in front of some fans, either in Sarasota or at Camden Yards. But uh, at least I got to watch it on television last night. Uh, all right. Uh, That does it for this edition of Inside the Yard. Uh, Don't forget to check out old episodes of Inside the Yard. And we've had some requests about Orioles Magic, the podcast that's still available. So go and check that out to catch up. Uh, But that does it for us. Everyone, stay safe and enjoy the baseball.